Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter as we continue our series through this book and really come into the final few weeks here. And I'll mention as well that uh, delighted that we'll have a special guest joining us uh, next week to uh, deliver God's Word, uh, Bill Hay, who a number of you uh, know as the, the founding uh, pastor and recent, recently uh, retired uh, senior pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church, which is one of the, uh, the mother churches, if you will, for our, our uh, daughter church here. We're interesting. You know, we've got two, two mothers with this church, Cahaba Park and, uh, and Covenant Presbyterian Church. But uh, Bill Hay uh, is going to be with us next Sunday to deliver God's Word. He'll be continuing on with uh, this First Peter series as we gather in our time next week. As we turn uh, today to First Peter, uh, we uh, circle back once again, as we've already kind of seen, and, and you've probably picked up in the theme verses and songs of our worship service already, to this topic of suffering. Uh, Eleven times, at least, in this short five-chapter letter of First Peter, Peter mentions this issue. And it's undoubtedly because of the context and the setting of these early believers, which was one of persecution and suffering, probably in a way that most of us here have not experienced. But it's also a huge statement about what we should expect in the Christian life, what we should expect walking with Jesus to include. And it, once again, as we look at these verses today, you'll see, Uh, Peter plants explosive charges underneath the so-called prosperity gospel, the health and wealth message that seems to run rampant in our day, and tells us that not only is that message to be uh, destroyed, exploded, but that in its place is a reality that right in the midst of suffering, we can not only rejoice but we can actually find glory. If we anticipate it, if we're ready for it, if we're expectant of it, we can actually find God's glory. If, though, he says, we are indeed suffering for Christ and not just suffering because of our own sin and foolishness. So with that in mind, I invite you to stand. First Peter's found all the way towards the back of your Bible right before Revelation. I'll read aloud as you read along silently with me. First uh, Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it's time. For judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? 
Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. You may be seated. As you do, let me pray for us again. Oh, Father, we thank You for Your Word. And we thank You for the message that it brings into our lives today, a message of anticipating and expecting difficulty and trials. Lord, a message of glory that can be found in that. Lord, we ask that You would give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear from You today. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Well, I remember vividly the first time I fired a 12-gauge shotgun. I had recently completed, I guess at probably age 14 or so, the Illinois State Hunter Safety Course. I came from a family of folks that were familiar with guns. Uh, My uncles and my dad in particular hunted regularly in the Pennsylvania mountains. And I had even had an opportunity to to fire a a small caliber weapon, a .22 rifle before, probably with one of those uncles. But there I was. The rest of my hunter safety class gathered around in our concluding activity to go out to the firing range. I had my knowledge base from that class. I had my experience from my family and experiences even before with some kind of weaponry, but never something quite as powerful, quite as shocking as the recoil of a 12-gauge blast. I fired it, and as you can imagine, a rookie mistake had my feet situated way too close together. That center of gravity was off, so immediately I was knocked back. And then later in the day, realized that instead of actually having the gun situated on my shoulder, I had it more on my bicep, which produced a nice bit of pain and bruising, but no bruising worse than my ego of the rest of my hunter safety buddies seeing me nearly falling over firing my first shot from that weapon. Despite my training, despite the knowledge base that I had, despite some of the experience even that I had, I wasn't anticipating what would happen. And therefore, something that could have been, probably should have been, a glorious experience for a young man finishing up his hunter safety training instead was a filled with a bit of embarrassment and not a little bit of shoulder pain later in the day. As we look at our passage today, Peter again circles back around to this theme, which if we've been here fairly regularly throughout the fall, we know he's mentioned before this idea of suffering and trials in the place of the Christian life. And he's reminded us elsewhere, and so so I'm not going to focus on these themes that that he's reminded us of elsewhere. He's told us elsewhere to rejoice in suffering, that there's a pathway to that through the gospel. He's told us that we can follow Christ's lead in it, that we're actually walking with Jesus 
through suffering as Jesus suffered. He's told us that Jesus' power will be with us in the midst of it. What I want to focus in on today are some of the things he says here that are kind of unique to this passage. And particularly, the fact that we shouldn't be surprised at all by trials and difficulty in the Christian life. We shouldn't be knocked back by the recoil of that part of our Christian walk. And we also should realize as well that while there's glory to be had in suffering for Jesus' sake, there's not so much glory in suffering just because we forgot to stand properly or forgot to put the gun in the right place. If we're just suffering because of our own errors, our own mistakes, there's not much glory to be had in it. So if you want to follow along with me, there is a note section in your worship guide in the very back portion of that. And the main idea of our passage today is this, that because Jesus suffered for salvation, he suffered to bring it to us. We can expect suffering. It shouldn't surprise us, even though it does. And that suffering can yield glory if it is for Christ. I want us to pick that apart today. The, the first thing, I mentioned this sort of prosperity gospel message, and let me just explain that because I, I think I've referenced it out uh, throughout the fall. Maybe others have, but I'm not sure we've really unpacked it. What do I mean when I say prosperity gospel message? What's simply this idea that by virtue of being in Christ, having put our trust in Christ, then we are somehow guaranteed uh, benefits in this life. We know we're guaranteed benefits in eternal life. The prosperity message would say we are, in a sense, guaranteed a certain measure of physical health, a certain measure of maybe material prosperity now, right now. And I want to say a little bit more about that in a minute. But on the surface... Even if we would say, I'm, I'm no card-carrying member of that prosperity gospel party. When suffering comes into our life, when suffering comes into my life, it reveals to me that I actually buy into that a lot more than I thought I did. Find myself wondering, where is God in this situation? It means for us that we really believe that prosperity is what we've got coming in the gospel, however we want to define that. Take it a level further. I don't think the Apostle Peter is necessarily interested in uh, contrasting various levels of trials and suffering. But let's face it, the people that he's writing to in the Bible, many of whom, like other believers in other places around the world, are losing their jobs because of their faith in Christ are suffering family rejection because of their faith in Christ, are maybe even being imprisoned and perhaps some of them having their lives taken. And when we contrast that with the level of difficulty that a lot of us face and the level of difficulty we have facing that difficulty, it puts things in a challenging perspective for us. Not to mention, Peter says, and we're going to talk more about it here, he says that somehow, 
in the midst of whatever trials we're facing, we're actually meant to be experiencing glory, greater degrees of the presence of God and His majesty and His work. I dare say I don't experience that the way I should be. And lastly, but certainly not leastly challenging us in this passage is, uh, we often run into difficulties and trials in life, not because of our Christian faith or not even just because of something somebody else has done, but we bring it upon ourselves. And the Apostle Peter wants to make sure that we don't confuse that with suffering for Christ and for his purposes. Three things Peter emphasizes today, and I want us to walk through. The first is that when it comes to suffering, we should anticipate it. We shouldn't be surprised. He says this clearly in verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised. And then he goes on and he reinforces the message. He says, as though it were something strange happening to you. We shouldn't think that this is a strange thing for us. As we think again about this prosperity gospel message, let's make sure we've, we've summarized it correctly. If, if we're living the life that God calls us to live in the world that he's created and seeking to do so by his commands and his principles, that should have an impact, right? So we don't want to say that living for Christ has no benefit to us. In theory, if we're learning forgiveness, if we're learning grace, if we're learning love, our family relationships ought to be stronger. There ought to be some prosperity going on there. Our business relationships, how we manage our home finances and business finances by biblical principles, those things ought to be helping us, moving us forward. Uh, Maybe, too, if we live life based on some of the principles in God's Word, we might be healthier people, have a greater sense of peace, Less anxiety, all those things that contribute to some deteriorating health. So that's all true. The problem is that if we don't understand suffering and if we really have embraced a prosperity gospel, then what we're doing is we're looking around God to the blessings that he gives. And Thanksgiving's a great week for us to think about this. We're looking around him to the stuff that he gives us instead of through him. To those things or through those things to him and so we're missing God I like what uh, an Indian theologian a theologian from India uh, Vinath let's see if I can say this Ramachandra says and you've got it listed in your worship guide if you want to read along with me about the danger here for us maybe this will help you to see where I'm going he says the good news in western culture he's referring to is packaged and marketed as a religious product, offering peace of mind, how to get heaven, health and prosperity, inner healing, the answer to all your problems. What is promoted as faith in God often turns out to be a means for obtaining emotional security or material blessing in this life and an insurance policy in the next. And then read it along further with me. He says, this kind of preaching leaves the status quo untouched. It doesn't raise fundamental and disturbing questions on which people build their lives. 
This kind of gospel is essentially escapist. The direct descendant of the pseudo-gospels and false prophets of the Old Testament. And in this last sentence is, is really what I want us to take away. It is simply a religious image of the secular consumerist culture in which modern men and women live. Peter wants us to anticipate suffering and difficulty, not be surprised by it, because he knows that it's a dangerous thing to take the the desire we have for everything to go great in this life and perfect prosperity and to repackage that somehow and make that into an idol or an entire belief system for us. That's the danger of this prosperity message because we spend all our time looking around God to the stuff instead of to God, the one who can ultimately and only meet our needs. Where are we today? Where are we today? Maybe not a card-carrying member of that prosperity message, but where is it inching its way into our belief about God and expectations for life? Peter says suffering, trials, is one of the things that will help us. Uh, a light on the dashboard that will show us where we might, if you're like me, be getting off track. Second thing we see in this passage, and all, this, is, this is amazing. This is beautiful if we can begin to embrace it. After kind of confronting us in that way at the beginning of the passage, Peter then turns and gives us this remarkable message about glory. And when he speaks about glory, we should it's kind of a churchy word, you know. You expect to kind of hear that, praise and glory and worship and fellowship. You're going to hear those when you come to church. Well, what's glory? The simplest definition of it, it, it conveys an idea of the weightiness of God and also of His majesty, of His majestic character. And so Peter's saying that part of what we are being taught to do through our difficulty is to find greater degrees of hope in the weighty majesty of God and who He is instead of in the things we see around us in this world. Just look quickly at verse 13. He says, Rejoice so far you share in sufferings that you may be glad when His glory is revealed. Jump down with me to verse 14, right after that, he says that the spirit of glory will be resting upon us if we begin to walk in this understanding. And in verse 16, if anyone suffers, don't let him be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. What's happening when we begin to uh, embrace even the difficulties, the struggles of life in this way through the gospel? His promises are getting bigger and bigger. The ones that come from the Lord and are true because we're seeing that the promises this life gives are a greater and greater farce. Spiritual health in Christ and spiritual wealth, prosperity in Him, loving Him more, knowing Him, walking with Him more is becoming more and more valuable Because bodily health and worldly wealth is seen as fleeting. 
Have you ever looked for glory in the midst of trials and difficulties? Peter invites us to do it. He says it's there if we will look for it with gospel eyes. Third thing he tells us is just a reminder, really, and you might call it a qualification. He says, oh, by the way, (laughs) I know how you might think. I know how Chris Peters might think. And that is that you would be prone to bring upon yourself some difficulty and suffering. In this case, he gives some examples of a murderer and a meddler and a thief and so forth, but whatever kind of issue would bring it about. He said, and you might want to kind of, in an attempt to get some spiritual benefit out of that, to want to repackage that and say, well, I'm really suffering for the Lord. And Peter just wants to remind us that when we bring suffering upon ourselves, we really shouldn't expect to see and experience that kind of glory. And he he summarizes it this way. He says in verse uh, 17, well, he speaks about it in verse 15, and then in verse 17 he says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and sinner? He's saying a couple of things there. One is he's reminding us that it's a gracious thing to be in the gospel. Quoting from this Proverbs passage, uh, maybe we would want to say it a different way, but it's said this way for us, that we are scarcely saved. Scarcely saved. It's a narrow thing, blessing, that we're able to receive that. It's a gift. And he wants to contrast that and the judgment. When he says judgment, he's really talking about kind of evaluating and assessing more so. That's what this particular word here means, more than condemning or bringing down condemnation on the household of God. And what he's saying is that God's going to be assessing what's going on. And God's going to sift out because it's so easy for us when we're going through trials and difficulties and we see those around us that are the the meddler, the thief, the murderer, and they seem to be doing well, maybe even really well, to kind of feel like we're getting a raw deal as Christians. Why did I sign on for this program? This isn't the way I expected this thing to play out. Peter wants to remind us First and foremost, all of us are accountable before God. He sees and knows what's going on. And then there's a concentric circle moving out, a ripple effect, if you will, across the water of God's judgment, that it begins with the household of God, with us, the people of God, and then moves its way out to the culture around us. He's not going to miss it. He knows what's going on. He knows men's hearts. I like what John 16:33 says. It's one of those probably memory verses from uh, vacation Bible school or uh, other settings that we may have in our mind. But Jesus says there in John 16:33, "I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. 
in the world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. We meet in the midst of struggle and difficulty. If we have the right perspective on it, a gospel perspective, we meet the Lord. And we experience His peace in deeper places in our lives indeed. As we conclude, think for a minute back to our author. And we started, goodness, over three months ago working through this book of 1 Peter. And I mentioned some of these realities back then to set the stage for the whole book of 1 Peter. But as we come into the last couple of weeks, it's good to remember who was the kingpin of disciples who underwent some suffering because of his own decisions? Peter. Peter denied Christ. He boldly said, no, I'm going to stick with you, Jesus. Jesus said, no, that's not going to happen. And yet he turned and denied his own Savior three times. We struggle to really undergo suffering for the sake of Christ, just like Peter did. All it took was one person asking him, one person pushing him a little bit, and some consequences he was aware of for his faith. And that's all it took to push him to deny. What a beautiful thing, though, that he got the glory of having Jesus come to him and minister restoration to him, minister grace to him. None of us are going to be perfect either in how we walk through the trials of life and how we see glory in it instead of caving into those trials we face for our faith. The Lord ministered to Peter. He'll minister to us. And let me remind you of the transforming power of this gospel that Peter, later on, years later, after years of ministry, when he was facing his own execution for the gospel, I think I mentioned this a couple of months ago, refused to be crucified upright because he refused to have that same high status of the Savior. And so they turned his cross upside down, that of Peter, and crucified him that way. Puts verse 19 into perspective for us, and I'll conclude just by reading this, because I think it sums up this whole passage. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we praise you for, our word, for your word and the way that it speaks to our hearts. Oh, Lord, we ask that we would more and more be growing in you in such a way that we would not be knocked back by the trials and suffering we face, particularly those that might come our way precisely because of our faith in you. And instead, Lord, that we would anticipate those. And, Lord God, that you would give us eyes to see glory in that. And Father, I pray for ways that 
we have no doubt all of us in this room bought into some degree, some measure of this prosperity message that's no gospel at all. That you, Lord, would teach us through your word how to delight more and more in you instead of looking around you. Father, that we would see you, that we would know you. Oh, Lord, that you, our creator God, we would know to be the faithful shepherd of our souls. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.